How's it going, everybody? Hopefully you're enjoying yourself, enjoying your day. If not, let me take a few moments to take your mind off of things. Have a quite a few stories to get into on this episode. Going to talk about, I mean, Damian Lillard, you know, the one of the subjects I definitely don't like talking about anymore because it's been a bit of a stalemate. But we did get a bit of an update to the story. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Talk about the potential change to spring football with the USFL and XFL. Then we're going to look at uh, week two, what happened, how I did with my picks, you know, what caught my eye. I'll give you three observations from the week. Then, of course, got to end it with Thursday night football preview because it is football night. So a lot to get into. Let's go ahead and get it going. So like I said, starting off with Damian Lillard. I know what you're saying is it's been a few episodes that I have talked about him and have not had a lot of fun talking about Dame Lillard. You know, he's still under the impression that he's going to end up in Miami no matter what. That's where he wants to be. It's his desire. He's he's wondering what's taking Portland so long. We have to realize for Portland, they're trying to get the best deal they can. So you're probably asking yourself, so what's the update? Because he's still in Portland. Yes, that is true. A report came out, I believe yesterday, saying that no matter where Damian Lillard gets traded to, he still wants to be in Miami and he'll just make a new trade request to the new team to get to Miami. Look, if you're Portland, it really does nothing to your plans because for the Portland front office, your job is to get the best return you can for the player to help your future with Scoot Henderson, Jeremy Grant, and those and those uh, guys over there. So for them, this report doesn't mean anything to them. This is more towards the team that, whichever team that is out there, might be looking to trade for him with the hopes that, sure, he might want to go to Miami, but if we bring him in, you know, he gets accustomed to the city, gets into the community and everything like that, maybe he'll want to stay. Well, according to this, that's not happening. He's hell-bent on getting to Miami one way or the other, whether that's directly from Portland or through a third party which with whichever team trades for him right now. I I don't think this does anything to speed along this process. Now obviously for Portland, you know, the season doesn't start tomorrow. So they're they're still going to do their due diligence to try to find that deal out there. That's better than what Miami's offering right now. Cuz seems like for what we know about Miami, they're offering what a package surrounding Tyler Hero and some picks. I've said, like I said, on a couple episodes here, I feel like Portland can probably get more. It's just this whole thing about Dame only wanting to play in Miami is what's really holding everything up. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like, will a team take the chance to trade for Lillard to, I guess, call the bluff on this report that he still just wants to be in Miami. 
that that's that's tough. Like if you're a fan base, your team packages young assets, draft picks to bring this guy in, only to then flip him to Miami. Which I guess you probably still just getting hero in some picks. How's that fan base supposed to feel about that? The fact that Portland, it wasn't good enough for Portland, but it's good enough for your squad. I guess depending on the makeup of your team, maybe Hero's a missing piece or something, but I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what's going to be the resolution to this. Like, we know he can't be in Portland. Or I think some people are starting to believe that if Dame were to start the season in Portland because of the perception of Dame, he'll play the season out because he's just a stand-up guy like that. But if he does that, then are we just going to go into next offseason with the same trade request and then do this all again? Because remember, he just signed a new deal in Portland. So I guess technically this could become an annual thing until the deal runs out. But if you're a dame, you want to get out of there. You want it to, want it to happen now because you're not getting any younger. Only, you know, few more prime years of dame possibly. And if his ambition is to win a title, he kind of wants it to happen now. So I, I don't know. I guess we're at a point where we're going to see who blinks first. Does Miami find a way to offer up more that makes a deal more plausible to Portland? Or does the third team just kind of try to jump the gun here and hope this report is just hearsay or something? But it's definitely something to be watching. And if anything else happens in this story, I'll definitely be here to let you know. Let's go on to the next one. As I mentioned, spring football is about to change. At least probably. Imminently. XFL, USFL are in talks about a merger. From everything I've seen, it seems like it's destined to happen. It's just whether or not it's going to be for like the 2024 season or 2025. So when I saw it, I thought, great. Because I felt like when it was just the USFL, I was like, okay, cool. It's spring football. It's not going to, you know, overlap with the NFL or anything like that. So they'll have their opportunity to establish themselves. Then was it like a couple of years into it? We heard about the XFL coming back. Being, you know, backed by the Rock and everything like that. So it was just like, how will these two leagues coexist during the NFL offseason? You know, they had a staggered start. The USFL starts in, is it March? And then the XFL gets going in April, something like that. But they, they don't start at the same time. But it did seem a little bit counterproductive having these two, you know, secondary leagues playing basically the same time, trying to occupy the same space. They're run a little bit differently. Rules are a little different. But they're both seen as like possible not minor leagues necessarily for the NFL, but a place where, you know, the NFL could 
like pull some talent from depending on how those players play to, you know, fill out the roster. With the talent being separated, like I said, I don't know if it was necessarily the best for both leagues. Them coming together, though, it will, one, bring all the attention to just one central league. It will definitely help the product on the field, I feel like, because you had some some known players in the XFL. You also had some in the USFL. Now they're just together. There are some questions, though. Both te- Both leagues had different television packages. What happens with that? I believe the USFL was Fox and XFL was ABC, ESPN, you know, the Disney companies. So how's that going to work out? What do they do with the teams? Do they just do like a straight merger, which I guess expands the league because the XFL, I believe, I believe both leagues were eight teams. So it's just going to be one 16 team league. Do they just do eight and split up whichever markets they they want to use. I, I you know the rules as I mentioned are different in both leagues. So what do they do with that? Do they kind of just sit down and decide which ones are working and they want to continue with and which ones can kind of just go away. So there's definitely a lot more to come on this story, but just let it be known that it's apparent that we're going to have one league for spring football, combining the XFL and the USFL. Also, what's the name going to be? Yeah, I saw some funny suggestions like, it was like, XUSFL or SUUSXFL. Maybe they go USFLX. Go with the whole Twitter X model. But we'll see. Definitely interesting. I think it's a good thing. Let me know in the comment section if you agree. Next story we got. My picks. So we're on to the NFL now. A little bit better last week. If you remember week one, went 5-11. and 11. Ugh. This past week, I went 6-8-2 on the games. And then the bowl prediction hit, so 7-8-2. I'll take that. Still would like to get above 500 one of these weeks, but hovering around 500. And the two, obviously, were two games I would have loved to have gotten on the right side of the ledger here. With the Niners uh, beating the Rams by exactly seven, so that became a draw or a push, whichever term you want to use. Same with the Saints beating the Panthers by three. But, I mean, looking at the rest of the schedule... There was a lot of close calls here. So that 7-8-2 could have easily have turned into, I don't know, maybe a 10-win week. Who knows? But as you see, you know, started off really well. I think the early window, I did really good in the 1 o'clock window. The later games, struggled. Because that's kind of how, how I have it split up. Like the left side is usually the early games in the early 4 o'clock window than the rest of them, I believe. But yeah, like I said, a lot of close calls. But there were three observations on the week that I guess stood out to me. 
So we'll go ahead and, and talk about that. One, Ravens beating the Bengals. I mean, was it a possibility? Of course. But looking at the game now, the Bengals are 0-2. There's questions about Joe Burrow's uh, calf muscle, how that's healing. Will it heal this season? Like, is he just going to have to deal with it? Just a pain tolerance type of, of thing with him. I think there's questions about whether or not he's going to play this weekend. But sitting at 0-2, if you remember before the season, I actually picked the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. If they go 0-3 those aspirations kind of go out the window because of the NFL history and teams going 0-3. I believe very rarely make the playoffs. I'm trying to think if one's actually done it. It might have been like one team. In that tough division, you'd have to think their season's pretty much over, which would be unfortunate for not only my picks, but the Bengals fans. Past couple of years, they've been kind of trending towards that. And now to have a season like this, definitely hurts you know for the Ravens like I said uh win against the Texans week one didn't look great beating a division rival in Cincinnati you know it's a nice second win for them there's obviously some things they could definitely improve upon that's that's any team right now in the NFL but they have to definitely be feeling good about themselves being 2-0 right now The Bills bounce back. After the week one debacle in New York, facing the Jets, you remember, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, here comes Zach Wilson, and Buffalo could not capitalize on that. Ended up losing that game. Last second uh, kick return or whatever, touchdown on them. Well, that was an overtime, I believe. Yeah, yeah, an overtime. Go up against the Raiders. I think it was a bit of a trendy pick taking the Raiders and the eight and a half, I believe was the spread. Buffalo came out, put it on Oakland. No, I said Oakland. I knew that was going to happen, but put it on Las Vegas to the tune of almost like 500 yards of offense. Time of possession was like 40 to. It was like 40 to 20. Might've been even a wider gap than that. Number of plays were two to one in Buffalo's favor. So dominant performance by them. It was against the Raiders. So you kind of have to temper your excitement a little bit, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. They face the commanders this week with the commanders coming in with a talented defensive line. We'll see if that defensive line is able to put pressure on Josh Allen. Cause some turnovers because we know that, Bad Josh Allen's in him. Always willing to rear its ugly head when he's put under pressure and he kind of just throws the ball downfield up for grabs. But for right now, you're feeling a little bit, little bit better about yourselves, Bills Mafia, because of this past weekend. But we'll see. Is it now the trend? Or is this just going to be a one-week thing? We'll see this weekend. And finally, look, you saw it from the title, not again, Nick Chubb. I feel so bad for Nick Chubb because he had the injury at Georgia. 
where it was gruesome as well. I believe it was against South Carolina. Running out of bounds, took a step, knee like exploded, and you know he was carted off, and we were wondering how that would affect his NFL career because he was a dominant running back at Georgia. You know, he gets into the league, he's pretty productive, but it seemed like this season he'd risen to the point where he was the number one running back in the league. I guess arguably. Some people would still say maybe Derrick Henry or whoever. But Nick Chubb, to a lot, was the best running back in the league. Then it all came, well, as you see in the image, came to an end. It was a play up the middle. He's running through the running lane. Minka Fitzpatrick comes down from the secondary, fills the running lane, hits him low. I mean, there, there were images kind of of the injury. I don't want to put that up there because it's it's not a pretty sight. If you saw the game, you know, once it happened, they said they weren't going to show it, but they showed it in the stadium, and we all heard the uh, Steelers fans' reaction. That lets you know, wasn't that great. And, of course, we heard after the fact he's done for the year with, isn't it like the ACL? How's it? ACL, meniscus, PCL. Like it's it's just not not nice in in, in his knee right now. You know he's twenty seven. We know with running backs when they start creeping towards the thirty, they drop off seemingly. So now you're looking at Nick Chubb, who look great shape. We've seen the videos of him squatting like six hundred and fifty pounds. The dude's a freak of nature. We also know father times undefeated. Unfortunately for running backs, it's just a shorter window. So being 27, you kind of figure next year might be a wash. Next time we see Nick Chubb at Nick Chubble, <laughs> Nick Chubble, geez, Nick Chubb like status would be his year 29, uh, years of age 29 season. It might be tough. You know, he's gone through this already, so he he kind of understands rehab-wise what he's in for. But it's just, it's just tough to see him dealing with it once again. Now, coming out of the game, there's been some questions about, I mean, this has kind of been a, a term of the week, was the Fitzpatrick hit dirty? That's definitely subjective. Because Nick Chubb is a big guy, Fitzpatrick, not so big. So if he's going to go and try to tackle Nick Chubb, how's he going to do it? You know, the league doesn't want you going at the head, which is good. So Fitzpatrick wasn't going to launch at his helmet to knock him down. You could go at this chest, but Nick Chubb, strong enough, he could bounce off of that. He could stiff arm it. So that might have been out of the equation for for Fitzpatrick. When you play football, whatever level, at least when I did, I mean, you know, it was nothing at at the NFL type level, obviously, but you're taught, wrap him up around the waist, take him down. 
not everybody does that. Because like I said, these running backs get up ahead of steam, really big and strong. Secondary guys just have to find a way to get them down. And usually launching their body at them is the best way to do it. So for Fitzpatrick, he didn't do it towards the midsection. He went at the legs. Because like I said, if you're going to take down some of these running backs, you have to go low, take out their legs to get them to the ground. So Fitzpatrick kind of dove at him, rolled his back towards Chubb, hit him directly on the knee, and that was that. I don't know if you can make the hit illegal because I think for the league, the worst part would be if he had like launched with his helmet directly on the knee. Now we have an issue, but him throwing his body and unfortunately catching the knee the way he did. Cause Chubb had like, I think just planted that leg. Then the hit comes. So his legs like cemented into the ground and it just bent it back. I don't know if you can make that illegal because then you'll have players wondering how do we take down a Nick Chubb, a Derrick Henry, a Josh Jacobs, you know, one of these guys. How do you do it at that point? You know, as I said, perfect world. These guys that run up, wrap around the waist, take them down, form tackle. But I think we're kind of beyond that point. We've moved past that in terms of how NFL players necessarily tackle guys. So, Neil Fitzpatrick came out and said it wasn't deliberate or anything like that. So, obviously, you know, the the conversation was going to be had at some point. And that's kind of where people are with it. But, like I said, I, I feel bad for Nick Chubb. You know, hopefully he can come back from this. You know, get back to Cleveland and continue his career. I would hate to see this be the lasting image that we see of Nick Chubb. I'm a fan of him. You know, I'm a Patriots fan, but I can be like a fan of other players. Nick Chubb's one of those guys I just like watching him play. And I was so happy to see his ascension to the point where, like I said, people were saying he's the best running back in the league. Cleveland was a team that I was high on in doing some things this year, this is going to be a big blow to them. But, you know, they brought back Kareem Hunt. We'll see how he can fit back in with the team. It'll probably take him a week or two to get into football shape. I'm sure he's been working out and everything, but, you know, that's a little different than actually getting out on the field. Interesting to see if Kareem Hunt plays this weekend. If not, they have... Ford, who stepped in for Chubb against the Steelers, wasn't bad. So I'm sure he'll probably be the lead back this weekend. And then we'll kind of see how it works with between he and Kareem Hunt after the fact. But yeah, get better soon, Nick Chubb. Love to see you back on the field. Like I said, it's football night. We got Thursday night football. We have Daniel Jones and those New York football giants heading out to San Francisco to face Brock Purdy. Yes, that dangerous, irrelevant man, Brock Purdy. 
and the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers are 10-point favorites last I saw, but I do want to double-check. want to make sure I'm not, you know, making anything up. There's a good chance the line might have moved even higher because especially the Giants don't have Saquon Barkley. You know, it's a bit of a mystery early in the week. We now know Barkley's out. I think what Andrew Thomas on the line is out as well. The line is now 10.5. It was 10, I think, yesterday. It's 10.5 now. Big line for sure. I'll probably take the Niners here with it being in San Francisco. No Saquon Barkley for the Giants. What's this Giants offense going to do against that Niners defense? That's the key matchup in this game. You know, for the 49ers offensively, I think we know we're gonna, what we're going to get. I think I saw somewhere that Brandon Ayuk might be out, and he's been off to a great start this season. If you're a fantasy owner, you know how, how good Brandon Ayuk's been this year. But even without him, you still have Debo Samuel. You have Christian McCaffrey. You have George Kittle. So offensively, I think they'll be okay. It's just with the Giants, you know, they're going to have to get creative. Barkley was a big part of their passing game and their running game. So I think you'll need to see probably Daniel Jones with some design runs on passing plays, some trickery, flea flicker here or there, you know, some rollouts just to get them off the spot to make Nick Bosa and and those guys up front chase them a little bit. He's got to be willing to, if there's not open downfield, to take off. No no need to hold the ball and put yourself at risk of a strip sack or taking unnecessary, unnecessary hits right now. So, yeah, like I'm saying, the Giants can just open up the playbook. Run reverses, wide receiver screens, running back screens. Use some trickery, spread them all out. Go on a drive where you go no huddle. And just let Daniel Jones try to find open receivers. Giants are playing with house money here. They're a big underdog, missing their best player. Nobody's going to expect them to win this game. Why not just try every trick you have in the book? So I am going to take the Niners minus the 10.5. I think they're just the better team right now. It's in San Francisco, so they have the home crowd behind them. They're just playing really well right now. I find it hard to believe that the Giants go on the road short week without Barkley and get it done. Then again, it's Thursday Night Football. We've seen interesting things happen, especially with the short week. That's a bit of an equalizer, but I think in this case, take the Niners and the 10.5. I'm trying to see in terms of a Bold prediction for for tonight. Where should I go with it? Um, all right, I have a bold prediction because this is a guy who you wouldn't believe hasn't hit this stat, but Nick Bosa, I believe, does not have a sack on the year. Bold prediction: Nick Bosa gets a sack tonight. It's not the boldest prediction. Still pretty bold. He's gone two games without one. Who's to say? But I'm a, that's my bold prediction. Nick Bosa gets at least a sack. 
I could see him having two, maybe a sack and a half type of line, but that's my bold prediction. Nick Bosa has at least a sack tonight. But uh, let me know what you think down in the comment section on all the stories we talked about. So just to recap, you know, we talked about the USFL-XFL merger. Let me know your thoughts on that. Dame Lillard still wants to be in Miami no matter what. The Nick Chubb injury, the Thursday night game, all on the table. Let me know what you think down in the comment section. And to my soccer fans, look, Champions League is on. I have been watching it. It's going to be on an episode at some point. Maybe after the group stage, we'll kind of recap it. I'm mad I didn't do one before to give my predictions on the groups and how I thought they would go. But just, I guess, a quick little moment about it. Man United looks like they're kind of in trouble. But they were playing Bayern Munich, and Bayern definitely impressed me. I mean, I was surprised that they kind of let Manchester United back into the game, but Bayern did win 4-3. So to me, I think Bayern are legit contenders in this thing. I would not be surprised if they got it done. Harry Kane looks good at Bayern. If you remember, I did talk about when it seemed like Tottenham, his days might be over there, that his, his game just fits... Germany. Didn't know why, but I just could see him there. And now seeing him in the Champions League with Bayern Munich, he looked good. Outside of that, you know, that's probably the one thing I've really noticed that Bayern Munich looks like they're for real. But I love Champions League. You know, if you guys aren't fans of soccer or want to get into it, watching Champions League is not a bad place to start. It gets you a feel for teams across Europe, not just English teams. We got like German teams, you got Italian teams, uh, French teams. So you, you kind of see the best that Europe has to offer. And if you're, you know, not watching MLS or anything like that, if you're from the States, European is the best there is out there. So, but, uh, but yeah, definitely look for that in a future episode, talking about Champions League, what's going on there. But yeah, that's all I got for you. So thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a like, hit the share button, and share it out to, to your people. Help me out a little bit. Hit the follow or subscribe, depending on what platform you're watching this on. Also, for my audio listeners, the show is back on audio platforms again. It's, I guess, like the second week or so. So if you do prefer listening to the podcast, Check me out, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to it, go over there, check out the episode, leave a review. I definitely am open to that. So yeah, it would really help out. But uh, thanks again. Be safe out there. God bless. And I'll catch you in the next episode. All right, I'm out of here. Enjoy the Thursday night game.